Here come some movies that aren't so funny because here's Spot the Wonder Dog leaping into the balcony to help us pick out the week's worst movies, the dogs of the week. Well, my dog certainly isn't a laughing matter. It's Maniac, a disgusting horror show that forced me out of the theater after only 30 minutes. Maniac is a repulsive story of a berserk killer in New York. This is an extremely brutal film that thoroughly grossed me out. And what sent me out of the theater so early was the scene where we see a head hit by a shotgun blast and it explodes in slow motion. That came after a couple of throat slashings and a vicious strangulation. Maniac is making its slimy way into theaters all around the country, so be on the lookout for it and avoid it. You know, sometimes that's a very valid reaction to just walk out on a film like that, even if you're a movie critic, because as a civilized person, there's no point in sitting there and watching yeah, that kind of there stuff. There was no point at which the film was going to redeem itself after that. It was a real gross-out show. Sounds bad. You are listening to They Must Be Destroyed on Sight. The following podcast contains adult language, adult situations, and spoilers for the movies discussed occur often. You've been warned. Now, take it away, Dr. Rausch. They must be destroyed on sight. And it's They Must Be Destroyed on Site, episode 296, and I'm your host, Lee. Look, it's just a little inconvenient, Russell, and I am joined by my special guest host tonight, Matt. Every time you go out, this kind of thing happens. Simpson, how you doing, sir? Oh, I'm doing fantastic. I'm kind of feeling a little sweaty right now. Yeah. Uh, Got the Spinel thing going on, but uh, I don't know. I'm just so excited to talk about Joe Spinell and this movie, Maniac. Thanks for having me on, Lee. Yeah, yeah. Uh, trying to get this one figured out for a little while, and uh, yeah. we finally, finally nailed down a time. And uh, yeah, we got to go to see what all this uh, this fuss is that uh, Siskel and Ebert made about this movie. <laughs> you know. Sounds like they liked it, right? Or you know, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> notorious, notorious lovers of the grindhouse, and uh, well, you know, when when Russ Meyer wasn't paying one of his one of his checks, Ebert was yeah. <laughs> wasn't a fan. But uh, yeah, um, but yeah, uh, like Matt said, we are doing uh, Maniac this time out, the original from 1980, and uh, we'll have a lot of fun talking about that. I think. But uh, before we get into that, we do have some feedback, so I'm going to get to that very, very quickly here. Yeah. First, from uh, my friend Gary Hill from Cinema Beef, who's been on this podcast many a time. He wrote in, in the Facebook group, just finished the Senior Trip Show. This is a film that hit me uh, at a time where I watched lots of crap like this. Some have aged okay, and then there's stuff like this. All the things you guys say on the show is spot on, but for some dumb reason, I still really like it. If you guys haven't done The Stoned Age, I could seriously recommend that. That's one of my favorite movies, actually, The Stoned Age. Oh, really? Yeah. I, I like I've never seen that one. It's uh, got Giuseppe Andrews in it. I know that. But uh, who directed that one? Um, fuck, I can't remember right off the top of my head. But, but it's, you know, it's the... Uh, it's the edgier, goofier, dazed and confused, basically, is what it mm -hmm. is. Yeah. Okay, so that's not... Oh, no, I'm, I'm thinking of... Um, 
Oh wait, you're, is this Stone Stone Age is from nineteen ninety four? Is that the one you're talking about? Yeah, are you thinking of the Detroit Rock City, right? Or, no, I think I think of this other movie, Homo Erectus, or something like that. But oh. uh, <laughs> anyway, the Stone Age. Okay, totally different movie than what I was thinking of. Mm. Yeah, no, that's that's uh, that's one I eventually will do on the on the show at some point. Um, but yeah, that that is a favorite of mine. And um, you said it came out in the wake of Days of Confused, and some would say a better movie. I enjoy it more than Days of Confused. I think Days of Confused is fine, but I I enjoy the Stone Age a lot more. It's more of a party movie for me. So, one thing positive that I'll give Senior Trip is that uh, is one of my favorite soundtracks uh, of the time. You play that Muffs track at the end. Remember the Muffs kids? They were kind of like L7 light and were on like four soundtracks, including Clueless and personal favorite Angus. Good times as always. Uh, he also says never review National Lampoon's Last Resort. M- much worse than the latter. Much love. Yeah, Last Resort we're never doing. I've, I've seen that and that's... It's probably the worst Corey Feldman movie. <laughs> uh, what about Busted? The the cop one? Uh, at least that one has a bunch of titties in it. That's true. Yeah. Fair. I mean, t- titties are going to go a long way upping the uh, game of a movie for me a little sure. bit, even if, yeah. if it's total trash. But uh, Last Resort has maybe like a nip slip at one point, and that's about it. Okay. Uh-huh. Yeah, uh, thanks, Gary. And like I said, we will do the Stone Age at some point. Uh Maybe have you on for that episode, Gary. We'll see. Uh, okay, now I have a uh, audio comment, and this is from our friend Vaughn from Motion Picture Massacre. So uh, let's see what that grumpy motherfucker has to say. <laughs> hey, Lee and company. I don't know who's going to be on the episode when this plays, but this is Vaughn. How are you doing? Um, so I was going to leave this on the Facebook page. But I thought it would be better to have a voicemail because then I can always articulate what I'm trying to say. Um, so you did see your trip last. And that hunkered up a memory from my teens about my first date. <laughs> I know, right? I went and saw this on a date. We had a second-run theater down the street from my house. Um, and we would frequent that a lot because it was just easier than trying to get our parents to drive us to like three towns over to actually go to the first run theater. Right. So a friend of mine, some strange reason, um, back in 95 was obsessed with TV radios. Right. His father had must've bought him one and he was on it all the time after school. I know this is around the time also like the internet was slowly coming to things, but I don't know. He's obsessed with it. Um, he met this girl on there who said she was from like four towns over and they kind of were talking for weeks and kind of getting all like cutesy wootsy and shit like that. So he, you know, comes to my house one afternoon, um, like Friday after school and goes, Hey, you know, I got a date on Saturday, but she wants to bring a girlfriend with her. I need somebody to like help me like hang out with the girlfriend. I was like, okay, sure. So they like met us at the theater um, and like, he was like, pick whatever you want. So they picked this and it was awkward because I wasn't, I was kind of the wingman. Well, okay. Technically it wasn't a date, but like, they're like, oh, look, we can double date since your friend's here. Cause I think she was just bringing her as like protection just in case the boyfriend, the, the kid that she was meeting for the first time was an ugly fuck, but she wasn't that great of a looking kid, but he was, you know, decent looking kid. Um, anyway, we saw this and we sat down and watched a movie 
and the theater is filled. I mean, I've never been in a theater. I remember one of the many memories of my early childhood, early adulthood, is going to a movie that didn't look great with a full packed house. And in that packed house being stone cold silent through the whole film. Right? And that was one of these things that made me think about this. And also, another memory that it brings up with this is also, it's the first time I ever actually saw it a 35mm film break in the reels. So, as it was playing, we get to the scene where the bus is being chased by the cop and the Asian family in the van um, is screaming all over the place. You find that Tommy Chong's character is dead and all that other shit. And as that's happening, as the, 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 the Asian van, I guess, remember, if it jumps for some reason into the water, as that's happening, the film breaks. I mean, literally, the light's on fire. Like, you see the, the pop and the light and the thing. And I've seen this in another film before, but I thought it was like a joke. Like, oh, this is pretty... Uh, and then we, we, you know, everybody sat there for two minutes, three minutes, four minutes, right? As the this film broke and cracked and ripped and it kind of... And we had the white, we had the white fucking screen and then the fucking whole place went black and, you know, five minutes goes to six minutes. You know, I can tell my friend is preoccupied. Uh... But me and the girl that I was with were like, uh, what do we do? And then somebody screamed, like, blood-curdling scream, and everybody got up and ran out of the theater. I either kicked through the fire doors of the opposite, but close to the screen, ran through the front of the house, and ran a month through the whole goddamn theater. Right? Nobody, I don't think anybody really went and got their money back, but I know, like, it was just chaos for, like, ten minutes. Uh, and then, like, I forget how deep in the movie that is, but it's like, we were like, you know, I think the girl was, the girl I was with was kind of bummed. She, even though she didn't like the film, she wanted to watch it to the end. I don't know. And I was bummed because I was just like, I wasted a Saturday afternoon doing this. Um, my friend was lucky, but I don't think they ever talked after that. If I remember, I don't think the relationship was like this big fucking, you know, su- uh, you know spring, summer renaissance of his libido. I think it was just that, and then she kind of disappeared, and I think pretty much after that, he kind of got got over CB radios and started doing more kind of, you know, uh, entertaining things with his life. Maybe he learned how to master it. I don't know. <laughs> anyway, uh, thank you for, you know, rehashing that memory in my head and, um, you know, making me remember how much of a klutz and a weirdo I am. I mean, I remember that, but it's always, been, it's always nice to remember that it's been an ongoing struggle, um, and it's not just happened when I hit 22. <clears throat> All right, well, I hope the rest of your days go well, and uh and tough. Well, thanks, Vaughn. <laughs> that, that was nice he kept that brief. Yeah, thanks for, you know, oh, we, we rehashed that memory for you. Thanks for sharing the entire thing for the last five minutes. That's, uh, you know who I miss? I miss Wayne. Wayne was so much more to the point. That was that was great. No, but that sounds fucking insane. That that happened at a showing of National Lampoon's fucking senior trip. Did he that say was, uh, in that ramble if he got a refund? I assume he, maybe he tried. I don't know. <laughs> well, knowing Vaughn, he definitely tried. But yeah, whether he got one, I don't know. I, that was I the know. part of the story that I. I, was hoping I don't know at if least I missed. Got, it might have been in there. Kind of spaced out for a minute because it kind of just kept going on and on. But <laughs> I was kind of hoping he got like a hand job or something out of it. Jesus. <laughs> I don't know, like, you and if you lied. didn't, 
I'll give you one, Vaughn. Don't worry about it. There you go, buddy. A makeup. Yeah. I'm, I'm I'm sad about the kid giving up the CB though because you know there was a bit there's a big future in that he he should have kept up with the, with the CB radio that's uh, my God okay hey, did you ever have a CB radio My dad had an old old motherfucking one it was it was um it was actually like it was in the sh- in the shape of an old like telephone like he had to actually pick up the telephone receiver and talk into it instead of a microphone like a trucker's mic or whatever and it was. Um, it was something. There, there's still, there's still like old crazy CB enthusiasts up on up on like either side of the the valley that uh, were were still doing it. I guess and he and my brother used to use it a lot and talk to one or two random people. But uh, yeah, yeah, I used to do it all the time as a kid. And there was um, this crackhead in town named Crazy John who uh, <laughs> would ride his bike and he had this thing that you could you know like sit in and he would drive ride people around and stuff and uh-huh. uh yeah he's pretty notorious around town he had like both of his eyes were kind of going either way uh i mean I, this guy probably had a million problems and crack added to that but uh he was he was a nice guy and he had a cb radio that's what he would do when he was not riding his bike pulling people on skateboards and stuff and um uh, yeah i would talk to crazy john every once in a while on my cb radio and as well as truckers i talked to a guy named pizza guy all the time who would deliver pizza pizzas guy. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, I was into the CB radio thing for a good, I don't know, six months, probably. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I was about 10 yeah. years old. So talking to adults. That's, that's the prime totally time to do it. Yeah. yeah totally, appropriate. totally appropriate. <laughs> that, that was, that was back before sexual, uh, predators were a thing. So it's, it's fine. To be honest, though, I never got anything weird from anybody. It was totally chill. Yeah, no, it's it's usually just like very esoteric hobbyists, you know, using that kind of stuff. Yeah, I mean, people yeah. would call you idiot or tell you to shut the fuck up or something, change the mm-hmm. channel, but uh, that's that's fine. Uh huh. And of course, we'll be using that uh, during the resistance when we finally overthrow the government. Uh, sure. That yeah. that's in a couple of years. So, Canadian government, right? Yeah, you know. Okay, fair. <laughs> uh, okay, we can move on from there. Um, talk about anything we've watched in the last little while. I'll throw it over to you, man. Uh, you know, I I rewatched Massacre Mafia style, mm. Duke Mitchell classic that you know Grindhouse put out. Uh, speaking of the William Lustig connection, our mm-hmm. director for today's movie, and uh, boy. This have you seen this movie before? Oh, yeah. Massacre Mafia style. Okay, yeah, I had forgotten just how insane it was. Um, and you know, Anna said something that really just blew my mind while we were watching it. She's like, you know, if this was dubbed in Italian and had English subtitles, it would just kind of be a regular Italian movie. And Mm -hmm. that's so true. He really captured the Italian, um, just like nonsensical patchwork plot with a lot of great aesthetics and over the top gore Mm -hmm. uh, perfectly, (laughs) even though I don't think he was trying for that. Um, I think it's just in his blood. He's just an Italian man making Italian movies in America. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That that's actually yeah. No, that's a really good observation. I've never thought of it that way, but but yeah, yeah, because really. It makes it, it, no like, sense. It's dream logic, you know? Mm-hmm. It, it's, I mean, it's trying to rip off the Godfather, but it's the scummy exploitation version of it with with no 
fucks given, no reservations, and also no real coherence to the plot. Yeah. And the uh, fact that it's borrowing from The Godfather makes it even more Italian. Yeah, you know? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, so uh, that movie, though, Duke Mitchell, what a gift to this oh. world. Um, yeah, he is just, I don't know, he's so charismatic, not in the way he's trying to be, but you can't take your eyes off that man when he's on camera. No, he's he's a legit scary person. Like, I, I, I get the feeling he was probably a scary dude to be around in real life i don't know see the, i'm not saying that he's scary he's like about 10 pounds and he's a toothpick with bad posture uh i mean yeah maybe he knew some people that could beat you up but i well like yeah that's, that's what i'm saying that's what i'm saying right it's like he knew sinatra and them and uh they knew people and yeah he was kind of like connected to all those people for a while yeah, I'm still so confused by the ending of that movie, though. I have no clue what the hell happened at all. And I've looked it up, and nobody knows. Nobody knows what happened. Nobody says, even has theories on what happens at the end of the movie. So, if you haven't it's seen just, it, I won't spoil it. But um, yeah, It's just, just a lot of bread. And lot yeah, of, yeah, it's a lot of bread, and it's still kind of like, wait, who did that then? Um, because well, people are looking at each other like yeah. everybody could have done it. You have no clue. I love how his his son ages like twenty years throughout the course of the movie, <laughs> yeah. and Duke ages maybe two. I don't know. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. That's a fantastic movie. And then uh, should I bring up another thing I watched, or throw sure. it back to you? Why don't I throw it back to you? Let's. I want to okay. hear one that you watched. All right. So um, I finally took the dive and tried out uh, Skinamarink that came out mm. uh, last year, which you know everyone was like, ooh. You're either going to love it or you're going to hate it. It's one of those artsy-fartsy experimental movies that is going to isolate a lot of viewers and stuff. And, yeah, it is kind of that. Um, but uh, I'm just kind of, like, you know, in the middle with it. I was just kind of like, okay, there's some interesting things going on in this movie, but I don't understand most of what's going on, and, like, I don't like using the, oh, it's got dream logic as, like, an escape goat for, for films and stuff like that, because half the time people just kind of lazily use that, and, um... Wait a minute, I just said that. <laughs> um, but it's, um, it's this weird, like mix of like kind of found footage creepy pasta like youtube analog horror i guess the director kyle edward ball got his start like making short films on youtube or something like that like he was kind of doing that like analog like hey i'm gonna shoot a movie on like eight millimeter or something like that and put it on youtube or you know that kind of creepy pasta weirdness mm -hmm. um and it's got that going for it. It, it. It's but it's very weirdly done. It's like anti-narrative, really. Like it, it, it feels like a kind of like a nightmare. Like I, it's probably the probably the best way to put it. Honestly, is is wasn't it made for like two dollars and fifty cents? Uh, yeah, it was made for a few thousand dollars or something like that, and like gross tons. Like yeah, I mean, it was in movie theaters all around the country. Like it was mm -hmm. it, not a small release. Yeah. That's not a big budget. No. Um I I kind of liked it though cuz it it has this way of being really creepy and unnerving and kind of getting under your skin kind of precisely cuz you don't know what's going on. And 
it doesn't give you characters right up front that you can kind of uh, connect to. It's like you kind of hear the... It's like you're in the same room with the characters, but you can't directly see them necessarily. Just with the camera angles he uses, because he usually uses like really high camera angles or really low ones. Um, so when there are characters in in the uh, shot, usually you're either seeing like the top of their heads or their feet or something along those lines more often than not. And it's just these two kids, their father leaves their house one night and they go to bed and they wake up in the middle of the night and there's no doors or windows in the house and they're like basically trapped in the house for some reason by something. And it's fucking with reality basically so that that's kind of what's going on and other than that it's it's yeah it's it's very creepy uh, i don't know if it's super satisfying and it's also like 100 minutes which i feel like is too long for something like this like this feels like it's better as like a half hour short film or something like that it would probably be more effective but 79 minutes it. 79 minutes that's what you can get away with i think mm, yeah there you go uh but I would, yeah, I would recommend it. it. It's worth watching at least once just to to see what it's all about. So, all right, Skinamarink, huh? Yeah. All right. Uh, yeah, another one that I watched was Weekend at Bernie's, mm-hmm. um, the Ted Kotcheff classic. Um, same director uh, as Rambo: First Blood. Which yeah, yeah. I I had completely forgotten that fact when I was looking this up <laughs> during the movie. Uh, could, could not believe it, but man, Bernie is a hero and like of this film, and he's dead for most of it. But mm-hmm. the guy is just another like kind of Duke Mitchell, bleeding charisma, and yeah, I had so much fun with this. I hadn't seen it since I was a kid, and it's a lot of laughs. Um, and then we decided we had so much fun with it, we would watch the sequel, Weekend at Bernie's 2, which was not directed by Ted Kotcheff, but directed by the writer um, of the first film. He wrote and directed the second film. Mm-hmm. Have you seen Weekend at Bernie's 2? Yeah, a lot more racist, that one. Uh, yeah, it's a lot more yeah. racist. <laughs> and it seriously could be like a f- silent film from the 20s because the dialogue doesn't matter at all. It's all mm-hmm. about stupid pratfalls that are just so stupid. Like you could watch it on mute and you'd completely understand what's happening in the movie. Yeah. I didn't really like that one. Although I did like that. It opened with cartoon credits, Mm -hmm. um, kind of explaining, um, the, the first film and everything. But I was thinking we really need a weekend at Bernie's three that's animated in that style. That would, uh, yeah. I think we could do it. I think we could do a Weekend in Bernie's 3. But uh, Weekend in Bernie's 2 was, it was fine. Part 1 ruled. Part 1 mm-hmm. was fine. But the one thing that I thought was interesting was uh, Bernie, he gets put under a voodoo spell. That's yeah. how, like, he occasionally can get up and walk if he hears certain music because yeah. these guys put a voodoo spell on him. And uh, whenever he hears this music, before he like gets up to his feet, he slowly works his way up. He mm-hmm. starts twerking. Yeah, yeah. So Bernie is p- probably the very first twerker in 1992. Trailblazer, man. Yeah, dude. Yeah, yeah. He's even more of a hero. This is what I'm saying. This guy, like, <laughs> what can't he do? He's fucking dead, and he invented twerking. So you gotta gotta introduce him to all these zoomers and their TikToks, and yeah, he'll, he'll be their new hero. Just maybe show him, show him part one first, though. Part yeah. two might 
you know, they they have to be eased into the, uh, uh, you know, <laughs> voodoo stereotypes. We don't want to get Bernie canceled. We don't want to no. get him canceled. Yeah, we got to win mm. them over first. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I really do hope that someday Weekend in Bernie's 3 animated will happen. Um, I don't think it will, but I would like it. I'm really, I'm actually kind of surprised they didn't try for a Weekend at Bernie's, like, cartoon in that period because they were making cartoons at everything else those days oh sure yeah (laughs) and there's not yeah there's there's like a robocop cartoon why why couldn't there be a weekend in bernie's cartoon there's two Uh robocop cartoons actually but um yeah and there was the live action series too which was Uh, (laughs) made in canada yeah yeah and it shows yeah (laughs) (laughs) okay i'll mention uh one other thing i guess um I watched. This is basically a rewatch for me, but uh, it's a it's a favorite of mine. Uh, the Stone Tape from 1972. This is a uh, British production from the the BBC. It's a TV movie actually, but it's um, it's shot in 16 millimeters, so it it's got a slightly more theatric look to it than some of the stuff that was done on uh, British TV back in the 70s. So, you know, like how a lot of like Doctor Who and shit looks like it's, oh, they're filming a stage play, you know, in, in front of me kind of thing. Sure. This is slightly, it's got a little bit of that energy, but because it's done in 16 millimeter film, it's actually a little bit better quality. Like, you know, you can kind of look at it from the edge of your eye and go, oh, no, this is, this was a, a feature film, you know, kind of thing. Um, it's uh, written by Nigel Neal, who did uh, Quatermass in the Pit and uh, the other Quatermass movies uh, for Hammer. So it's it's basically about these uh, this group of audio engineers who are looking like to beat the uh, Japanese with the new audio device, basically the the thing that's going to replace magnetic tape as the new medium for um, uh, audio and. They basically rent out this old Victorian-style house that is uh, rumored to be haunted. And the female on the team, she's a little bit more sensitive to things. She sees and hears a ghost, or what she mm-hmm. thinks is a ghost. And soon the some other people on the team start either seeing or hearing this ghost as well. And they decide, we have to figure out what's going on here. And they sort of deduce that... The actual stones used to b- to build the building have like trapped a a kind of audio visual image within them, basically like a reflection of something that happened. You know, so you know it's not an actual undid spirit or anything like that. It's just like a a kind of recording of a traumatic event that happened in the past. And so they're like, hey, let's try to let's try to learn the actual science behind this, and then maybe we can create the new like audiovisual medium that will beat the Japanese and revolutionize the market and stuff like that. So they have, they've got like this capitalist uh, intent behind it, but but at the same time, there's also something more sinister that seems like it's underneath the recording of this uh, quote-unquote ghost that they're seeing. And I love it. Um, it's It'll probably be really slow for a lot of people, but um, I really, really enjoy it. I find it really, really creepy. And the the uh, the sort of things that it hints at that, that's actually going on are uh, actually pretty terrifying. And also it's kind of a nice little uh, feminist commentary too, because all the other people on the team are all dudes and they kind of dismiss uh the female who's who's seen and heard the ghost 
Um, but she's like totally right. You know, that at first they're like, oh, you're you're just being a hysterical woman or whatever like that. And and uh, they, they all treat her like shit. But she's the one who's right. And the film kind of makes a point of like, in the end, yeah, she is the one who was right about it. And, and sort of part of the horror of it is that they don't believe her in time kind of thing. So. Hmm. What's the name of that again? The Stone Tape. Ah, the Stone Tape. 1972. And that, that was directed by um, Peter Sasty, who uh, did all kinds of Hammer stuff uh, around that time as well. Uh, a lot of the, uh, like, Draculas and stuff like that. So, um, oh. pretty good director. So, yeah. Fascinating. Uh, okay, we're going to take a quick break. And we're going to come back and talk about Maniac. But before I do that, uh, I'm just going to admit to our listeners uh, something right off the bat. Our actions are controlled by electronic computers, not by human emotions. <laughs> Sorry, it's true. There. You ungodly warlock. Uh, there's this show called Movie Melt, and you probably know about it. Uh, and it's once every two... I have no idea how often this is uploaded. <laughs> and it's a show where a bunch of compañeros get together and we play some fun games, trivia mainly. Uh, we talk about new releases. Uh, we have some fun games where we try and guess the title of a movie based on stuff that really probably religious people write on IMDb. <laughs> yeah, it takes about 20 hours to record. There's always a failure midway through. Uh, and then the highlight of the week of the, of the show is uh, reviewing a movie. Usually it's kind of a interesting, lesser-known cult-type movie, and it's uh, quite enjoyable. It sounds good in theory, yes. I might have a list one day. Wow. You ungodly warlock.
1980 we have a trailer gonna play that now okay out of you all right directed by william lustig and if you don't know him you've probably not watched a exploitation movie i'm, I'm kind of thinking <laughs> well not that he's done a lot of them but i mean he's done some notable ones uh outside of this uh vigilante mm-hmm. which is is pretty good um good. The, mm-hmm, the maniac cop series uh uncle sam oh. um Of course, he is the founder of Blue Underground, and, uh, you know, before he was doing Blue Underground, he was basically doing all the documentaries for Anchor Bay for a lot of their stuff. He was involved with Grindhouse, too, wasn't he? I think he was. Was he not? Yeah, I thought so. Yeah, maybe. Um, I, I do know, at the very least, you know, like he was working with, uh, Anchor Bay and then basically just, you know, bought up a bunch of their, their stuff. And put it on Blue Underground later on. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah. Um, this is written by C.A. Rosenberg and Joe Spinell. Uh, C.A. Rosenberg, I don't know who that is. Basically, this is their only credit, so uh, uh, I'm sure. And, of course, Joe Spinell, we'll get into him, of course. Uh, uh, he is the star of this as Frank Zito. Probably one of the most interesting filmographies 
foreign actor um, because he's he's done all kinds of like great films you've heard of and then a bunch of shit you've never heard of uh, yeah. you know like getting getting a start in like bit roles and stuff and doing like Godfather Godfather 2 okay so something I found out about the Godfather okay uh, mm. Coppola really liked Spinell because he was a life of the party type of guy and right. um, so he kept him around on set for the entire picture on Godfather 1 even though he was a real bit part. Mm -hmm. So six months, every single day he was there and he ended up being the highest paid actor under Brando for a Godfather mm -hmm. because he was just there making jokes with everybody on set, playing crap games, whatever, just making the morale of the picture go better. And, um, so yeah, so he's getting like these $16,000 checks, you know, weekly or monthly. I don't know nice. how often. And, and he's like, he had a big problem with the IRS. So he asked Bill Lustig, Hey man, will you uh, cash these checks for me and put them in your account? And then, you know, give me some cash from it. And Bill was like, okay, but why the hell do you, are you getting $16,000? Like every so often with these royalty checks, like what the hell with Godfather? And he explained this situation to him and that, yeah, the only person paid more was Brando because everybody else was paid by how much time they were on set. And because he had been there every day for six months, mm -hmm. um, he got more, which yeah. is uh, uh, wild, but uh, good for him. Yeah. Yeah. Um, what was that thing he did at the Oscars? He fucking like made a big scene at one point because one movie didn't win or something like that. It was, oh, it had I don't some, know this. It had something to do with, had something to do with Coppola or somebody or Pacino or something like there's, there's a video of him and Steven Spielberg oh, watching the Oscar nominations in 1976. And Jaws is just getting nominated for every single thing. Uh, and, yeah. uh, Spinell has, uh, a Jaws shirt on and, <laughs> hanging out with uh spielberg and I, apparently um spielberg and him liked each other and wanted to work together and spinel turned down ten thousand dollars a week uh to be in the movie used cars with spielberg oh, yeah. to do maniac um hmm. no he was gonna i mean he did this basically for free because yeah yeah they had no money they, this was out of their own pocket yeah um so of course you, you know other Great stuff of the era, Seven Ups, uh, Taxi Driver, uh, mm -hmm. bit, very small part in my favorite movie of all time, Sorcerer. Um, he was in Rocky, and of course we covered him in Star Crash. Uh, uh, he, Forbidden yeah, Zone. Yeah, Forbidden Zone. Uh, he popped up in Cruising, Nighthawks. Mm -hmm. Uh, did another film with uh, Carolyn Monroe down the down the road in the last horror film in like '82 something around there. Um, and moving on, of course, Carolyn Monroe. We've talked about her on this podcast before. Might be one of her meteor roles, even though again she's only got like limited screen time here. But at least she gets to like act in this one a little bit <laughs> compared to most of the stuff she's been in. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and then. We we have this long cast here of like a lot of one timers and porn stars uh, because uh, Bill Lustig, of course, he came from shooting pornos and uh, working on exploitation and porno uh, movies, and so he had a lot of connections. So it's like I need to fill out my cast. He had people like Gail Lawrence in here as Rita. Uh, she was a porn star. Yeah, Sharon uh, Mitchell's in this too. Mm-hmm. 
Sharon Mitchell is the uh, nurse number two, uh, the mm-hmm. one who doesn't get murdered in, in, yeah. in this. Yeah, we got Kelly Perper, uh, Kelly Piper as the nurse who does get murdered. She was in Vice Squad and Rawhead Rex of all things, which oh. is like, oh okay. The uh, the giant uh, Irish penis demon or whatever he's supposed to be. <laughs> yeah, uh, read him on me. <laughs> Uh, Rita Matoni is uh, Hooker. She was in Blood Sucking Freaks and The Children. Um, and of course, we have, a, I'd argue, maybe the second star of this movie in, in a couple different ways. Tom Zavini as Disco Boy. Sure. Yeah. Uh, we'll, we'll be talking about him in this. Uh, Hyla Morrow as Disco Girl. Um, she popped up in uh, Vigilante as well. And she apparently, even though it's uncredited on IMDb, she has like 80 plus credits for stunt work but just like i guess because she was like one of maybe three female stunt performers of of the time just didn't get any official credits just maybe they probably just got paid out of pocket to show up Hmm. in films and do stunts right we got james brewster as beach boy he was in vigilante and he was also in the deadly spawn of all things uh which we have covered on this podcast. We got Linda Lee Walter as Beach Girl, Tracy Evans as Street Hooker, and Carol Henry as Deadbeat. Okay, and he was in Blood Sucking Freaks. Anything else here? That's that's good. Oh no, I, I do want to mention this guy, Frank uh, Pessy as TV reporter. Uh, you just hear his voice in this, but he was also a very varied. Uh, character actor. He was in Rocky. He was in Sorcerer, Killer Fish, Vigilante, Beverly Hills Cop One and Two, All the Maniac Cops, uh, Uncle Sam, Donnie Brasco, and even uh, popped up in stuff recently like The Expendables Part Three and Creed. So I feel like he's probably good friends with uh, uh, Sylvester Stallone. Um, I'm thinking uh, a lot. Of- a lot of a lot of cross credits there, um, mm-hmm. and uh, William Lustig is even in this as the hotel manager too. Uh, just as a bit part here. <laughs> so I have a synopsis here from someone named Ed Sutton on IMDb. They say Frank Zito misses his mother, who was killed in a car accident years before. She was abusive to him and made money selling her body, but Frank still misses her. He tries to keep her from leaving him and reform her evil ways by killing young women and putting their scalps on mannequins, which he displays around his apartment. Uh, photographer Anna D'Antoni takes a picture of him in the park, and he pursues and, bef- and befriends her. Is she the one he has been looking for, or just another mo- mother wannabe? Sure, that's that's a okay. It's not a great description, but <laughs> no, it's terrible. It's <laughs> yeah, absolutely terrible. Um, so, what's the first time you've seen this, uh, Matt? Oh man. 15 to 20 years ago something yeah. like that yeah uh it'd been a long time though since i'd revisited and boy was it it felt good <laughs> it felt good coming back to this thing i yeah i just said i've seen so many films since then mm-hmm. and like learned so much and i i think this probably didn't blow me away as much back then as it did this time because Having seen so much, just re- I really appreciated this on a whole different level this time. I think I'll have some similar thoughts on that, like, like hmm. when, when it comes to that, because I I first saw this when it came out on the Anchor Bay DVD that first came out. Wh- whenever the fuck that was, that was like 
what, like early 2000s or something like that, or maybe yeah, even a yeah. bit earlier than that. And yeah, it was kind of a... It was kind of like a holy shit, like it's it, because you know it's got a reputation, and like that cover that you would see in a in like video stores and stuff like that was very very evocative, like just this like grimy lower half of this dude in jeans with a noticeable bulge and a woman's scalp in one hand bleeding and a fucking knife, and it's like oh what in the fuck is this? Like, is this guy going around? like getting hard from scalping women i was like okay that's definitely a movie that i need to see at some point and when i saw it it was like yeah i hadn't seen a lot of shit like this at that point it's like mm-hmm. okay this this is fucking crazy but yeah we'll, we'll just kind of get into it what are what are your sort of uh general thoughts on it now compared to when you first saw it then well i thought first of all that this is beautiful because it's there's a lot of color in this movie and it's mm-hmm. a very twisted movie but the man loves his purple in his uh <laughs> his little hellhole apartment that he's got there's purple all over the walls with dollies and these scented candles it's a actually a very feminine room but there's a ton of blue in this movie uh there's a lot of like maroon i just noticed mm-hmm. that whoever was in charge of this was paying attention to every single scene that people match complementary colors um and then also, speaking of like things matching, there's uh, in complementary colors. This is a Christmas movie. I t- completely forgotten that. Like he visits his uh, mother's grave around Christmas and give, drops a wreath on it. Well, yeah, yes, that's right. And yeah, there's a wreath right, right. on his wall. And then he walks by his neighbor and she goes, "Oh, is that uh, you de- getting Christmas decorations?" And he's. Yes, ma'am. When he's carrying like, a human-sized garbage bag um, in yeah. the apartment, I kind of, I, I kind of like the the fake out on that too, because you're like, oh, that's obviously that, that's not the body of the woman he just killed. That's obviously a dummy, but they're going to try to pass it off as that. And then he undoes the bag, and it's like, oh, it is a dummy. Oh, wait, what, what it, is he doing? <laughs> yeah. Then you yeah, once it gets up to the crotch, you're like, oh, okay, straight up. They, yeah, they're okay with showing this is a dummy. This is yeah, absolutely yeah. a mannequin. Okay. Um, yeah, so I thought it was really uh, beautiful with the colors that the, somebody had obviously paid attention with that. I thought it was really brooding too. Uh, mm-hmm. It's you know, there's you get to see all the floors of everywhere. Whenever Joe Spinell's going to kill somebody, it's always showing their feet walking around. You get to see these scummy bathroom floors or the scummy oh, yeah. uh, New York sidewalks or whatever. Get to see a ton of it. Um, it's it just a slow burn, not in a boring way. Um, mm-hmm. And even the synth track they've got when he's chasing people is just basically one note undulating. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and yeah, it's just got a real build until like until he fucking like slashes him up, and then the music goes crazy. You know, you get to see a bunch of blood and violence. But yeah, I just thought it was a very measured and a calculated film for. <laughs> and Joe Spinell obviously is. Um, this is his swan song. This is the best thing I think he ever did. Uh, it's, he put his heart and soul into this, and it's it shows. Um, yeah, it's it's perfect casting, right? Because like, you know, he knew he wasn't the typical handsome dude. He he, you know, he was a pock mark on the face character actor. Yeah, a little bit heavy at this point, and he looks like a sketchy, crazy dude that you would go, oh yeah, that guy's a serial killer, like. Totally. Like, at the very least, you'd be like, that's a guy I 
don't want to meet in a dark alley anywhere or, you know, even come up and talk to me at a bar or something like that. Like that, he, he has that weirdo energy of him and like he's got the buggy eyes and. But he can turn on the charm too. You see mm-hmm. that like when he's talking to her at the restaurant or in her apartment. I mean, for this character, it's kind of out of left field a little bit that he just like suddenly like snaps into being a coherent, normal person rather mm-hmm. than like rambling, fighting with himself, you know, and killing right. people. But um, yeah, there is there's moments in this that uh, he actually seems like a, a normal, likable person that's got some charisma too yeah i mean joe spinell he you see him kind of at his worst and at his best in the same yeah. movie right because he, he'll get down to just being this like sweating bug-eyed monster strangling a woman to death in a bed and then you'll see him like you know totally cleaned up he's got his hair washed and combed and he doesn't look greasy or dirty or anything like that he's wearing got a great suit. style too yeah, his yeah. fashion is amazing so, so like you can tell Spinell had a real investment in like the whole psychology of this character and like everything about him. Yeah. He studied multiple serial killers Mm. in order to just take little different aspects and put it into the character. And he wrote all of his own lines. He just like Lustig just filmed and he would just go. I mean, I could tell, I knew that was happening as I was watching. Mm -hmm. I was like, this is God. That's why he's got the writing credit. This is all improv here. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Or not maybe improv, but you know, he maybe had some ideas and then some bullet points and then mm -hmm. worked from them. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. But it's interesting though. Like, so the part of the reason that this movie happened is like, this is his passion project. As I said, he turned down $10,000 a week yeah. to do something that he would have to pay out of pocket to make. And that's because, uh, I, I don't know if you were going to talk about this, but Spinell, like, basically is the one that took Stallone under his wing. Um, mm. And, like, pay, helped pay his rent and kept him fed and clothed. He lived with him for a little while. He's the one who gave him uh, Stallone the typewriter that he wrote Rocky on. Oh, wow. I didn't know. And so, yeah, once Rocky, you know, made a name for Stallone, Spinell, like, basically said, well, if Stallone can have his name above a picture, then why can't I? And so this is his Rocky, which is amazing. (laughs) (laughs) And his his Rocky 2 is going to be, like... Maniac 2, Mr. Robbie, then... You know, yes, exactly. That's... I had no idea about this Maniac 2, Mr. Robbie. Mm-hmm. It's... What was it? It's like a children's TV show host that... Like, yeah, he's a serial killer of abusive parents? And apparently based somewhat on a real serial killer as well, but, like, the whole, the whole idea was it, it was going to be like he had, like, a call-in show where kids would call in and talk about how bad their parents were. And then he'd go around killing their, killing their parents. <laughs> and then part of it was a response to the fact that he got so much criticism of maniac being misogynist. Yes. Uh... And he was like, okay, well I'll make a movie about me killing bad parents instead of just killing women, you know? And I heard he yeah. was really hurt by that too, because he was not a misogynist at all. He was, uh, funding a lot of prostitutes entire careers so uh yeah he loved women yeah i you know that was the typical witch hunt fucking bullshit that was going on back then for like slasher movies and grindhouse stuff and and you know there was plenty of movies 
coming out at that point that were similar that were definitely misogynist. I don't necessarily think this movie is misogynist. Um, it's definitely there's there's definitely a couple female characters in it that are questionable as to why they would like let Spinell anywhere near them or like yeah, why well, that makes no sense whatsoever. Yeah, yeah. And also like I, I'd say the. I'd say Kellen Monroe. There might be there might be an excuse there. Uh, we'll, maybe we'll talk about it in a bit. But um, that nurse character, who knows damn well that there's a maniac stalking the streets, says, "Oh no, I don't need a ride home. I'll just wait for like a, ta- a taxi cab." <laughs> like, no, you're not doing that. That's that's bullshit. <laughs> sure. But I mean, it, it does lead to that fucking subway stocking scene, so it's it's kind of worth worth it because it's it's really well done. Yeah, and about that subway's stocking scene, apparently they stole all those shots, which oh, yeah. in the subway is not an easy thing to do. Mm. But uh, I guess they had somebody that had some sway talk to the subway person and distract them for mm-hmm. the time that they shot that and um I wouldn't, and the whole I wouldn't, bathroom uh, scene was shot at some gym and it's, it's not sense. even at the subway anymore that makes sense uh i would not be surprised you know, considering lustig had a bunch of like porn stars and stuff working on this movie it's just like hey you want to talk to the girls for a little while while we go film a couple shots here for half an hour yeah, or sure. whatever yeah um because yeah, there was. They had no money for permits. There, it was just like everything Larry Cohen ever shot back in this yeah, era. This is just, just like, like this. Yeah. yeah, just guerrilla, total guerrilla filmmaking. But, but you like, yeah, it's it's interesting. Like psychologically, this movie kind of is like a lot of the grindhouse movies at the time, where they kind of took their cues from Psycho, where they had that that element of like the abusive overbearing mother character somehow sure. cre- creates a killer out of her son, right? Um, like, I I think the direct comparison, and I kind of like this movie a little bit better than Maniac, actually, is the uh, Don't Go in the House. Would, mm-hmm. Have you ever seen that? Yes. The one the, oh, yeah. The fl- yeah, the flamethrower yeah, flame guy. Thrower, that's a great movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's tough. I don't know which one I like better. It's been a while since I've seen that one, but uh, yeah, definitely top tier. <laughs> Uh, but you know, I, I like that one better because it's. I, I think in a in a way it's it's even more nihilistic and sleazier. But I like and original like, with the flamethrower. That's just so oh yeah, weird. yeah yeah. But what I love better in this film is just Joe Spinell's performance. Like the amount of time and effort he puts into this character. People mo- most actors weren't doing that. You know, killers and stuff in films around this time. They were just. They were just on screen chopping people up. There was no, there was no real attention paid to psychology or backstory or anything like that. It was just, yeah. So I mean, like, Spinell working with Tom Savini is just uh, a recipe for good things. And then mm. because you know, it's funny. Like I did not know this. I was reading before we, you know, recorded this that. I guess Joe Spinell was a chronic asthmatic and hemophiliac. Yes. Yeah. I, I, I had no clue about this. And so that's why he like couldn't do sports or anything like that. Got in really into acting. And uh, he's just one of these old school guys that was, you know, a thespian that didn't do things for a paycheck until, you know, I think he, he was also a party animal. And I think partying got the best of him, really. But uh, 
early on in his career, like we were talking about, everything he did is just top shelf. The best things that you could be involved with, you know, the mm-hmm. the most, um, I don't know, the greatest directors and actors he's just sharing the screen with. Um, but uh, yeah, I don't even know what I, where I was going. I completely forgot. I mean, Sorry, he, but uh, I mean, no, that's that's fine. I mean, like it, it seems like his career path was like. I'll do all these small jobs and I'll make connections and stuff. So when the time comes that I can maybe get my own yeah. dream project off the ground, I can do it. And he did. And he was choosing, yeah, he was choosing the people that he wanted. He, I guess uh, Dario Argento's wife or ex-wife was supposed to be one yeah. of the stars in this. And that kind of fell through at the last minute. But yeah, this was all handpicked by Spinell. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, I think it's... It really works, man. It's so funny, like how with no money, like it was, I listened to the commentary for this and, um, you know, Lustig was saying like, I think if we had more money, this movie would not have looked this good. It just, you know, there's a pain with a limited palette and sometimes things, uh, turn out better. This is one of those instances. This is seriously incredible. (laughs) It's an amazing film. Yeah. When you, when you gotta, when you gotta like you know, attention to detail. You got to fight for shots. You got to fight for, for the best time and the best place to do effects work and stuff like that. And you got to make every shot count. Mm-hmm. Sometimes that, that ups your game. Right. Mm-hmm. And I mean, also if they had hired like more professional actors, say to play like the hookers and stuff like this, instead of just like the porn stars who were way closer to that kind of, Aesthetic. I just realized the reason they chose porn stars is because they're not SAG. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Because uh, that, that's the whole thing is, you know, they wanted to avoid having to get SAG actors. And um, so they found this clause in the contract that um, X-rated movies will not get the SAG approval. And so... Mm-hmm. That usually meant hardcore, not violence, yeah. but they found out a way, you know, to make it 17 and up. And so what they did was they sent SAG the grossest script that they could come up with, <laughs> including a serious idea by Spinell that Lustig shot down because he was like, Spinell's like, what's the worst thing that could happen to a woman? Oh. And he's like, why don't we have me sucking a clam out? And uh, castrating a woman in the film. And they were like, no, dude, that's fuck. No, we're not fucking doing that. But (laughs) he was really pushing for that idea. I guess he wanted to rip some lady's vagina off with his mouth. Um, But yeah, they included that in the script that they sent the SAG. And they were like, nope, we're not getting involved with this. This is going to be an X-rated film. And uh, it did. It ended up being a 17 and up film. Yeah, it's, it's, you know, again, it's. Lustig, like Larry Cohen, it's that smart, like game the system kind of filmmaking where it's just like, yeah, we'll just we'll make it on the fringes. We'll we'll use the rules against them to our favor mm-hmm. to get the film we want to make. So it's, it's not really a thing you can do anymore. Like no, not at all. No, not at all. And, uh, especially especially yeah, especially now. I don't I don't know if uh, I try shooting a movie now in, in the street anywhere and you know like without a fucking permit and. You'll be ruined. Like you'll be in. You'll be in court. <laughs> Unless you're like acting like a, you're doing a selfie video or something, mm-hmm. Instagram influencers type situation. Then you're good. But if that's your yeah. movie where it's going to be like that, you're fine. 
Yeah, but I don't want to watch those movies. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm not, I mean, <laughs> we should mention the effects work here, of course. So Savini yeah. in this, some of his best stuff, like that that scalping looks real. Like it, it just yeah. Flat down, flat up, like looks real. Like there's, or the and, shotgun to his own head. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Used, apparently, he pulled the trigger on the shotgun that blew mm, off his own head because he only had one chance at it. He's like, "We're not fucking this up." So, but I think he also wanted to blow off his own head. I think. Oh yeah, probably like part of his the joke. He's like, "Oh, let me shoot myself in the head, please." Mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, apparently, like the stuff inside that, it's so gory and nasty. But that was filled with craft <clears throat> services stuff, mm. <laughs> <laughs> and the car like reeked afterwards. And oh, I, I imagine do another yeah. scene in that car later. But but uh, uh, yeah, I think that was the last use of like a dummy he had used on several films too, where you know they had to blow up the head or something. Yeah. You know? So the effect's so good, he doesn't slow motion to show off with it too. Hmm. And I mean, it, it it does look like it does look like what happens to a head if you shoot it with a shotgun. Like it it doesn't, you know, it, it, it's not like it just puts a hole in a head. It it peels everything back, like you know, yeah, the scalp and everything so, peels back. It's so gnarly looking, yeah. dude. Uh, yeah, that whole scene is amazing. Like, because I mean, Tom Savini's not really stretching himself as an actor. He's playing a guy who creeps on somebody with yeah. a boyfriend. Um, so that that's very true to life. And then yeah. um, it's so funny while they're hooking up in the backseat, Spinell's like uh. looking through the window, smashing his nose against the window. Mm. Like, like a little kid. Looking oh my God. That, that car... That car felt so much like cars I'd been in that my parents had owned, where it's just like, that would have been the most uncomfortable car to fuck in. Like, this... <laughs> No give to those those seats, those plastic seats, and it's just like okay, yeah. And meanwhile, you got Joe Spinell trying to look at your weenus in the, through the window, <laughs> smashing his face. Everything's uncomfortable about that. Yeah, but yeah. That that Tom Savini, like, also when uh, you know he gets hit by the shovel, Joe Spinell in the graveyard. Mm-hmm. That's a nice effect. Yeah. Yep. Tom Savini, reliable as usual for his uh, visual effects great wonderful and and jen when you then when you get to like the non-gory violence like that strangulation that first murder well not the first murder but the first one you see uh that you know you actually know it's joe spinell and he's doing it to the the hooker there in the uh, rented room that goes on for a while like that it goes on to the point where it gets uncomfortable because he strangles her for a good like couple minutes on mm-hmm. screen, you know. Whereas in you know, most movies they don't do that, right? It's like some movies are so bad where it's just like a, a monster grabs a person by the throat and they're instantly dead or something. Yeah, right? and five seconds later, yeah. But uh, yeah, no, that the, it's just like okay, we're going for we're going for some sense of realism here, and. I appreciate that from a movie. Yeah, her struggle is pretty intense, Mm -hmm. too. She's like, what are you doing? What are you like? Mm -hmm. You know, it doesn't really hit her because she's a prostitute and he's kind of hooking up with her. And Mm -hmm. she promised him the ultimate, which could mean choking is involved or whatever. And I assumed it meant anal, but. (laughs) Yeah, but I mean, the ultimate that other girl said, like his idea of the ultimate was something I'd never seen before. So it's basically you're you're going to be satisfied, whatever. Um, Mm -hmm. and so she promised him like, so he slaps her on the butt. She's like, do you like that? 
maybe it's like just a little bit of rough play or something. And it's about like 30 seconds into it where she really realizes, Oh, this guy's going for the kill. This isn't just like some rough play. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Yeah. I, I do like that this movie, you know, this is one of, you know, the handful of movies of this time where it's just like everything, everything feels grimy. Like it's the, it's the New York before, you know, that, that great guy, Giuliani saved everything and, you know, uh, turned it all around apparently. Um, because you know this is this is i i'd watched uh i'd rewatched miss 45 uh recently and i was like mm. yeah that pairs well with this movie like sure both both, both those movies uh just they they kind of have the same aesthetic and then like in you know more higher up artistic movies like taxi driver and cruising if, if you can call them that do as well um yeah the pit the same pet you know the higher pedigree but the same amount of sleaze going sure. on yeah all new york movies too yeah the scenes where you know joe spinell's like babbling to himself mm-hmm. um it's it's funny because it's like he he murders the girls he brings them home and he buys a mannequin um mm-hmm. and then puts their scalp on this mannequin and then each time like he's freaking out and you know he feels guilt and shame and remorse so there's that voice where he's like crying to himself and then another voice that's arguing with that voice about how, nah, dude, I'm going to help you get away with this, that we're good. Um, you know, don't worry about anything. And it's, it, that could have been so ridiculous and crappy and cliche and somehow Spinell just using his Spinell energy, like pulls that off seamlessly. But but at the same time, there's like a comical element to it too. Do you remember the, th- the whole thing when he's like, "Fancy girls in their mm-hmm. dresses with their lipstick, laughing and dancing." I can't help it. Yeah, I can't help. But now it, they yeah. go out. They can't do their dancing and they're laughing. And then he like puts himself in handcuffs and handcuffs himself to the mannequin that's yeah. sleeping in bed with him. And then he goes, "I'm so happy." Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like yeah, yeah. Wow. Okay. Really, the, all over the place here. Yeah, he, but he yeah. seems to be he seems to be having a couple conversations in his brain at all times, right? Because there seems to be like you know two sides of the coin when it comes to him, like talking yeah. to himself. There's the good Spinel, and then there's the evil Spinel that are kind of having a conversation, and then every once in a while, it seems like he's also talking with his mother. Yes. Yeah. Because he's so, like, apparently he's abused. Like the very beginning, it shows him fondling his boobies, and there's like scars yes. all over him. And yeah, you which can only assume that's from abuse. Makes me think because, like, he says his his mother was a prostitute, and she died in a car crash. Which you know. Oh, I missed the prostitute thing. Okay. Yeah. So and she died in a car crash, or he says she died in a car crash at the very least. Like he's yeah. an unreal, he's an unreliable narrator, like to the extreme. See, and that's another thing I was wondering about with those scars all over him. Um, th- if that was part of the car accident, or was he abused? But then at the end, you know, he puts a cigarette butt out on the mannequin's chest, and then. Mm-hmm. All of his scars are on his chest. So then it's like, oh, okay, all right. Oh, you see, that, that, abused. that bring like there are people who have a theory that he does not commit any murders in this film. That it's all in his imagination. I mean, it, the end would definitely make you. Uh, I mean, that's it's possible because of the ending. 
Like, like there, there are theories that he imagined all the murders and that the first crime he ever committed, the first attempted murder, was with Carolyn Monroe, and she escaped. And then he went back to his apartment and killed himself. And, and that was it. Because huh. like you, cause you don't really see, like, like, when the two cops come in at the end, you don't really see necessarily the, the apartment as fucked up as it was when he when he when he entered there that last time like you could almost like i perhaps i'm wrong but i feel like every time i watch this that it's you don't necessarily see the mannequins anymore with the scalps on them necessarily because they 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 were all propped around him when he when he went to sleep now you do you do oh do you <laughs> okay yeah there's blood dripping off of one of them so oh okay but i mean yeah, that, I I doubt they were going for this. This is a total fan theory, one hundred percent, because nobody talked about that whatsoever. But I mean, I like it. <laughs> yeah. Um, but there's and just because of the sloppiness of this movie, there's going to be blood on the same blood that was on it from before is still going to be there in the scenes. Yeah, where it shows any of the mannequins, but um, huh? Yeah. That's really awesome theory. Uh, yeah, but it I, I myself like a room two three seven kind of theory. Yeah, I myself didn't buy it. I I, I just read it tonight. I was like, okay, that, that might be a thing. Um, <laughs> but I like it. I, I don't know. I I just like the finale that like he cowers in his apartment and hallucinates and then kills himself. And he's, well, yeah, but he's <laughs> killed by all of his corpses. They come back to life with mm-hmm. these mannequins and tear him apart. Yeah, rip his head off, his that, face off. That effect that he that uh, Savini later does in uh, Day of the Dead, basically. Yeah, kind of the, totally. Kind and of he did it better thing. in Day of the Dead, but still, yeah, yeah. it looks pretty good here. And then also the chopping off of his arm too, and just mm-hmm. splurting blood, and then slowly going down. It, it just looks amazing mm. and oh, all yeah, those the, girls look like they're having fun ripping them apart too which is yeah 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 and then you know the psychology of it of it like he's he's trying to like th- when he's strangling that that uh hooker uh, her face changes and it's supposed to be he's seeing his mother uh, apparently mm-hmm. um yeah and and so like all of his victims apparently are like he's trying to collect and keep these perfect images and you know keep them basically trapped in his room kind of thing it's like that that's kind of his psychology behind it um like when he's talking yeah. to when he's talking to carolyn monroe and she's a photographer and she's photographing all these beautiful women and stuff and he's like wouldn't you keep these pictures and she's like no i sell them and, and shit like that it's like but it'd be better if you kept them, you know, like you can keep and preserve their beauty forever and, and stuff like that. And yeah, they're I, all going to die someday and you want to be able to keep them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He says some things that no woman would ever like talk to him again. Like, uh, actually, can I play one of the clips? That, sure. Uh, yeah. They're out to dinner cause he asked her out on a date, um, in a really weird way too. He's like, Hey, there's this, uh, casino and it has Italian food. Mm-hmm. And she's like, are you asking me out on a date? But it's like, to the casino? I don't know. That that doesn't seem that datey. But um, yeah, then they sit down to dinner. And this is the first thing he says to her, which I think any other woman would run immediately. You know, you're the most beautiful woman I've seen since uh, my mom. <laughs> and then he proceeds to pull a picture of his mother out of his breast pocket. Yeah, look how hot she is. Isn't she so fuckable? Oh, she's just like you. Yeah, no. Yeah, no. That that's the biggest 
that's the biggest leap this movie takes. It's, that's it's like, yeah, the biggest red flag you could ever have from a guy. Him <laughs> to say you look like my hot mom. Like for a while, I was trying to like get into the thought that okay, Carolyn Monroe, she's not as she you know she's refreshingly not vain so she's not like oh this guy doesn't look like a model so she has no problem talking to him and possibly being interested in him and when he first starts talking to her in her apartment about you know her job and shit maybe she's attracted to the idea that like she mistakes his like psychosis for like art theory to yeah, a certain see, degree that's, that's what i thought like yeah she tolerates it for a little bit because he's asking interesting questions in her mind about yeah. her art. And then he follows it up because she says, what do you do? And he's like, oh, I don't know. Uh, I guess I'm a painter. Just like low key about it, dressed really well. And she's like trying to work the art system in New York. She's trying mm-hmm. to make friends and make connections. She talks about this. So I think she just sees this as another possible connection. Right. And so she's like, yeah, well, the art people are weird. Go hang out with this guy and go to a casino and get some spaghetti. Yes, do it. Yeah, yeah. Because, I mean, he he lies and says, oh, yeah, I'm a, I'm a you know, I'm a painter or whatever. I mm-hmm. do, like, yeah. still lifes and, and shit. And, like, yeah. Okay. He's so vague about it though. He's like, I do the still lives and this and that, you know, which uh, somebody who's really good might do, uh, or somebody yeah, yeah. that's crap. You don't know. So she's just rolling the dice, going and hanging out with this well-dressed guy that uh, is asking weird questions, seeing what happens, tolerating his question or his uh, compliments about her looking as hot as his mom. I guess. Mm-hmm. But that also, that's pretty generous because I don't think any woman would do that with Joseph. No. Uh- also, like, it feels super rushed to, like, their relationship, the way it progresses. Like, if you had, st- like, from the very beginning, if he had met her and, like, had started talking to her and was, like, doing the murders on the sly but still, like, romancing her, quote-unquote, or whatever, maybe you'd have more time to, like, build up some credibility to the relationship somewhere. But it feels really rushed, the way they do it in this film. And the film's super short. It's, like, 80 minutes or whatever, right? Like, it's... Yeah, I think it's like 90-something. Yeah, it's, you know, so, like, they don't give it much time at all. It's just, like, all of a sudden they're on their first date, and it's like, okay, like, that's... No, literally, the first time they hang out, Mm -hmm. they go on a date. Yeah. She goes, give me five minutes to change, and we'll go. Um, Yeah, and then he shows up at her photo shoot, uh, her fashion shoot, with these women that are dressed in... The most boring outfits I've ever seen. But um, there's that song. What is that yeah. song? Um, uh, going to a Showdown. Yeah, the song's cool. I like the song. Yeah, Going to a Showdown. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Which, <laughs> the lyrics for this song are, put on something nice, just in case you die, you'll leave a pretty corpse behind. Uh, <laughs> which is rad. Nice. But uh, Spinell shows up. That song's playing. Everybody's doing their, uh, you know, striking a pose, doing the Vogue. And he brings a, a big white box with a green bow. And she's, you know, really receptive that he's showing up out of nowhere to her photo shoot mm-hmm. and gives her a teddy bear. Um, but, you know, she's got to keep shooting these people. 
and she throws it to him and he sits down and he's got the teddy bear in his lap watching the photo shoot with that song playing and that is easily my favorite scene in the entire movie joe spinell with a teddy bear in his lap that <laughs> song on to a photo shoot wow he's, um, he's sharing awkward glances with this weirdo art guy who's like we're paying these models a hundred dollars an hour let's keep this moving you know yeah <laughs> Man, I want to be Joe Spinell with a teddy bear in my lap for Halloween. Mm. But uh, I don't know if that's going to happen. I think we might do Weekend at Bernie's with our, our little baby. You could... Oh, baby's going to be Bernie? Yeah, baby's yeah, going to be Bernie. That's, that's the one you go for. That's yeah, because this is the only year probably that she's not going to want to have a say in it. Everything mm-hmm. from now on will probably be like, I want to be this. I'm not going to do that. So this is the one year she's like six months old. So, you know, just uh, we are in control this year. Yeah. Just, the Bernie's. Just, just wait. Your kid your kid gets to like age 12. It's like, why don't you be Bernie, Dad? You're closer to death than I am. <laughs> yeah. yeah. No, you know what? I think I'll be dead by then and she'll just have me stuffed um, for every Halloween. That'll be in my will. If you want any inheritance, you have to carry me around as Bernie. It's Halloween. <laughs> David will just work you like a puppet on the uh, podcast. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah but... No, there's buttons that you can press on me that will say things. Like, I'll do the intro. Hello and welcome, everybody, to the radio show for Idiots Avants, people on the spectrum, VHS hoarders, cinephile weirdos, and the psychotronic fringe. And then be like, yeah, oh, wow. <laughs> I mean, yeah, you know, you basically just run the soundboard for you. That's, yeah. Yeah. It'll be fun. That's even better. <laughs> we'll put speakers in me. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, you know, even though it's it's super unbelievable, I, I think Spinell and Monroe have really good chemistry. Like, I, I think they're pretty good together, even though they're... Yeah creating this unbelievable relationship that <laughs> you can't really buy um and the, the, like i was saying early on um i think this is one of monroe's best performances you know like she actually gets to show off that she can act a little bit yeah and, and, she and really do shines stuff. yeah mm-hmm. and i think the remake kind of fixes a lot of problems this movie has have you seen the remake <laughs> yeah i've seen the remake do you liked it then huh i liked it I did too. Surprisingly, yeah. I I don't like um, Elijah. What's his name? Elijah Wood. Elijah Wood. Yeah, I was for some reason I was thinking Elijah Wilson, uh, which I don't know <laughs> why. But uh, Elijah Wood. Yeah, I I don't like that man at all on screen. But I really like him off the screen. I think he's really cool. Um, Dude knows his horror. Like he's yeah, he's yeah. and he's produced like a ton of independent features that these people would never get money for otherwise, and give him like a good budget and marketing and stuff. Yeah, um, but he just I, bothers me um, <laughs> when he talks, and um, uh, at least when he's acting, he bothers me when he's acting, not when yeah. he talks. Um, and so. Yeah, I was really skeptical, and I was like, oh, my God, I got to see this. I, I can't believe this is happening. Uh, and most of it, though, is in first person, so you right. don't actually get to see Elijah Wood that much. Yeah, which, you know, interesting. perfect for me. Yeah, and, and, you know, interesting, like, Elijah Woods, he's not the, he's not the physical actor that Joe Spinell is like he he was no. not going to be the guy who could emote this stuff as well as Joe Spinell so whereas in this version of Maniac 
you're hearing Joe Spinell's thoughts, and while you're seeing him on screen, in the remake, you're getting all that internalized stuff, but you're getting it from a first-person POV yeah. shot, which mm-hmm. is a you know smart, updated way to do it. And and I and it's pretty faithful too. Like it, it pretty much follows the plot of the original for the most part. It just, it you know it changes who like one of the victims is and stuff like that. But like I, I feel like it it does a pretty decent job of like you know streamlining the story a little bit and it, updating yeah, it. it pays homage. It, yeah, it, you know, like he's a photographer. In this one, and taking pictures, and that's why he's got all these mannequins. Mm-hmm. And there's reasons for things rather than just some psychopath with mannequins in his apartment and a bunch of dolls yeah. and purple all over the place. But <laughs> uh, yeah, um, you got any other things you want to bring up? Uh... Let me see. Um, oh, Sharon Mitchell, I did want to mention because I'm a big Sharon Mitchell fan, she's. Mm-hmm. I think she's still doing pornography to this day. And, oh, really? Uh, yeah, I have not seen any or anything, but I, I'm pretty sure she is. She stopped for a while um, because she got attacked by some crazy person with a hammer in her apartment. Oh. Almost died. Yeah, she almost died. Um, if she has made a recovery and everything, but um, after that, she like she was drug addicted and um, doing porn mm-hmm. and she like stopped porn for a while and became an AIDS activist and okay. um, like learned all this science about blood and just completely ch- turned her life around. Um, she's an amazing, amazing woman, but I think she did return to porn after a while, but she's been an AIDS ad- advocate. And um, she also was the very first porn star to shave her junk. No, oh, really? All women, yes, um, b- but it was because she didn't want crabs, not for a fashion <laughs> choice. And um, and I I just want to give a shout out to her movie Kamikaze Hearts. It's a documentary that she did. Um, okay, I think in the eighties, and it's basically Sharon Mitchell completely strung out on heroin and w- who knows what else. And her girlfriend uh, at the time, Tiger, they're both porn stars and they're navigating the San Francisco porn industry, which is different than L.A. or New York, um, which you don't really get to see very often. And, you know, they're a lesbian couple trying to navigate this while simultaneously trying to navigate their serious heroin addiction. Um, It's an amazing amazing little slice of life that um it's not super flattering of either of them but it's just Mm -hmm. uh it's pretty it's top shelf uh, as far as documentaries go so kamikaze hearts with sharon mitchell high recommendation for me yeah nice Uh, other than that uh yeah i don't think i got anything else lee all right um so the original budget for this was forty-eight thousand in cash 6000 of which came from Joe Spinell's $10,000 salary from the movie Cruising uh, from okay. the same year, which he had uh, recently, recently completed. Uh, 12000 came from Andrew G. Garoni, and the rest, 30000 came from Lustig, uh, uh, from his profits from the adult film business. So uh, Lustig had saved up for this one, I guess. Uh Three of them put all money into the stock market account, and the amount grew to one hundred thirty-five thousand as production co- continued. So, they uh, they worked they the stock market investing. Jeez, yeah. it tripled in the amount of time they made this movie. 
Yeah, uh, and then they had a British producer, Judd Hamilton, who came up with the rest of the money around two hundred thousand. So, um, oh, I wonder if that's because uh, there's somebody that's in this movie. Maybe the nurse that he strangles or something, but somebody's husband ended up being becoming an investor. Okay, last minute. Might, yeah, yeah, that, that might be it. Um, so yeah, so you know, budget three hundred fifty thousand dollars, four point. Five million in returns, so that's really fucking Amazing. good. Especially because I don't think much of their, uh, I don't think they had much of a advertising budget. Like no. honestly, it was more it was more word of mouth from like how notorious, like how many critics were trashing this movie. Well, that, no, but that's okay. I don't know if that's fully true that all critics were trashing it. At least it can. They were mm-hmm. talking about how it was a huge hit. Sylvester Stallone was wearing a maniac shirt walking around can. Okay. And that all the all the showings were packed. So people were into it. Um but yeah, it got an X rating and Yeah, yeah. You know, Siskel didn't like it, but this mm-hmm. made a, a good amount of money. Um I think it was probably from you know, its notoriety. Just yeah, yeah. how people filled up the theaters but i i don't think all critics hated it i thought so, oh, I did, I some people actually yeah i wasn't i wasn't trying to uh say all critics say it. i was saying you know there was a, a definite like by the time it hit theaters there was a backlash oh, yeah. against it right? oh yeah there's women protesting the shit like with signs mm-hmm. and stuff yeah 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 i i was i had another clip i was gonna play but i won't bother but it was like just a, like a local news report or whatever where they interviewed a bunch of people and like a couple women like from feminist groups and stuff are saying oh this is horrible this is horrible then like a couple people saying no no it's fine it's it's you know whatever it's a movie. no it's actually good it's a good thing we really yeah. like this <laughs> you can find this pretty much everywhere blu-ray there's a 4k blu-ray out now DVD, iTunes, Amazon Prime, Vudu, Shutter. You can probably rent it on YouTube as well, I imagine, or just probably find it in, in full if you know where to look. I mean, it's on Maniac, or excuse me, not on Maniac. It's on Tubi. Mm-hmm. Uh, also, archive.org has it. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it, it is it is findable. So, yeah, not quite sure what we're doing next. We, we have kind of like, since uh, Lady Lee schedule with school and stuff, is kind of limiting when she can show up. We're not doing the I pick a film, you pick a film thing for a little while. So I am going to be programming something for the rest of the month. We'll we'll see what happens. But um, Matt, it was an absolute pleasure to have you back. Yeah, so good to see you again, man. Yeah, always enjoy talking to you. Uh, Mm -hmm. Please, please pimp your amazing podcast. And when's it coming back? Well, uh, I have... Two shows. Well, one is a you know behind the paywall show that I need to edit, but I'm pretty much going to finish one tonight. Um, so, going to be posting that for the free feed. So that was recorded like a month ago, but mm. it's uh, I've been moving. There's just a lot of life changes here, and then uh, I think next Thursday uh, Shay is going to have um, a movie for Squatchtober. We're going to be doing Little Bigfoot Part Two which is a PM entertainment kids film really? that is off the rails. Uh, I've seen the first one and uh, this one is apparently even weirder. And um, yeah, Lee, you're welcome to join us for that. If you feel like it next Thursday, uh, but next, um, thir- next Thursday, I could probably yeah. do that. Yeah. Okay. 
Um, but yeah, I don't know when you're putting this out, but we're doing it Squatchtober. We've been doing that for years now, and I thought we weren't going to be able to do it, but Shay ste- like stepped up to the plate, and now I think we're going to have uh, one movie for Squatchtober this year. So sweet, the uh, the awesome Shay. So yes, Black Black Video, Black Video, Video. So Black Video, two V's, Video. And uh, yeah, she's been on the Arrow podcast for a while, but she's got a little hiatus, mm-hmm. and so she's got some time. She's going to help us out again, and because uh, you know we were first, and she's got her loyalty to us during her time off from her husband's podcast. But uh, yeah, so yeah. Uh, movie melts. You can check us out wherever you find podcasts, and um, yeah, Lee's on there a bunch. And yeah. I think if you like Lee's show, you'll like our show too. Yeah, it, it's it's like this show, but it's got jokes. So, uh, <laughs> and, yeah. and a little bit more music, just a little bit more music, a little bit more music, and you know, it's mm-hmm. like three hours long, but it is, yeah, it's t- three to seven hours long, something like that. <laughs> Again, uh, loved having you, Matt. Thank you very much for showing up, yeah. and thank you so much for having me, uh, with a Joe Spinell movie. Mm. I think one of the best character actors of all time. He's oh, up yeah. there with like Wings Hauser, mm-hmm. um, you know, is one of my favorites. And uh, yeah, it's so nice to be able to talk about his passion project. Yeah. Uh, rest in sweat, sir. Yeah. Yes. Oh, we yeah. didn't talk about how he died. Do you know how he died? I, If I remember correctly, it was he came home drunk or something and hit himself is like some sort of accident where he started bleeding out and he just kind of passed out and bled to death in his sleep. Yeah. So yeah, he was taking a shower drunk probably. Mm. Uh, I didn't see the drunk part, but he fell. And then uh, because he's hemophiliac, he bled all over the place. And when the cops came in, they found a severed head um, sitting on top of his TV and blood everywhere. And they thought that somebody had been decapitated, but that was actually from this movie the severed head mm. that you just kept as a prop. Um, oh yeah. One more Joe Spinell story that I mm-hmm. didn't have time to share that I, I would like to mention. So there's that movie, the ninth configuration that he did. Yep. That they shot in Hungary. Right. And yeah. um, this, he was a notorious party animal that liked to drink like his women. And in Hungary, they got into some altercation, um, which, this seems wild to me that uh, escalated to the point of Spinell breaking bottles over some Russians' heads. As a hemophiliac, you know, this guy is like just not worried about anything. Reckless, breaking bottles yeah. over other people's heads. Ended up landing them in the gulag. Mm. And the way he got out of it was because he was a very charismatic guy. And he was telling stories about working on The Godfather to all the guards there. And they're like, this guy rules. You can get out of here. And they let him leave. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Nice. So, yeah, rest in sweat, Spinell. Like you said. Yeah. He's, he's the best. I wish he had given us a few more years. I wish he was still around. He would have had a, I think he would have had a, like a reawakening or a, a John Travolta type comeback, you know? Yeah. Imagine Tarantino reviving his career or something like yes, that. Yes. You know? Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. It would been amazing. Um, but yeah, you can find us at tmbdos.podbean.com where you can find, uh, all of our past episodes, all that good stuff. And, uh, if you want to join the Facebook group, you can go to, they must be destroyed on site on Facebook. And that's the best way to get in touch with us. If you so do desire to, 
Uh, but until then, uh, we will bid you farewell. Thanks for listening. Goodbye. Yeah, no. Also, one thing, Vaughn, keep those messages a little bit shorter and more to the point. That'd be great. Yeah, make make them make them shorter, like your actual podcast, which runs about what five minutes or whatever. <laughs> no, I love you, Vaughn. Yeah, we love you. Talk trash because I love you.
You've been listening to TMB DOS. They must be destroyed on site. For further episodes of this podcast, please go to tmbdos.podbean.com. We're also on Apple Podcasts and pretty much any podcatcher that you can find. Thank you. Drive through.